You're listening to The Grind, well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode 26 of The Grind, a disc golf podcast. We're back, baby. I'm Josiah. With me, my good buddy David. And we're going to talk some disc golf. How you doing, man? How's it going, guys? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, we had a week off after 25 straight weeks of recording, but we're back to talk some disc golf, have some fun. This week, we have a pro tip from Jessica Weiss. We're going to talk about what discs would you put in your somebody's bag or maybe their satchel in their hand if they were just starting out. We'll kind of give our lists of five discs. And we're going to review the end of a polecat. But first, David, has always got to ask, what are you sipping on? It's late night, so it's not straight coffee. And how's your disc golf week? Oh, we're sipping on something fun tonight. We're sipping on a latte stout from Mother Earth Brew Co. I think it has a location in, is it Nampa, Idaho? Yep. In Vista, California. That sounds right. Um, man, I honestly could say this is probably one of... Uh, the more in, there are some good coffee stouts, and there are definitely some ones that are not so great. But uh, this is this is up there for me. This it has vanilla, coffee, lactose, and oats, so it's a milk stout. Um, it definitely is on the sweeter end. For You're sure. definitely getting kind of it's a dessert beer. Um, the coffee notes come through some, uh, but I'd say it definitely has just kind of that that sweet dessert beer taste with some subtlety of coffee. Um, it's good, man. Uh, it's definitely one that I can see myself grabbing at, at the end of a day for sure. Yeah. I, I'm not normally the dessert beer guy, but every once in a while, it's just a nice thing to change up. And I think this is frighteningly easy to drink. It's smooth. It is sweet. It's not too syrupy. It's got a little bit of that, not too syrupy. I get mostly the lactose, maybe a little bit of the oats and, and, and coffee, um, if it was a latte, I'd say it was more on the like mocha latte sort of with some sweetener in there rather than a, just your traditional latte, but I get that. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good beer and we're recording, uh, on late night on Tuesday, David was reco- recovering from an injury. We got a round in, in time for him to review the polecat. We normally would have Standard coffee, but beer with a tiny bit of coffee in there still counts, right? Yeah, and it's pretty nice this time of night. And I, I never stray away from the sweet beers. I I'm I love bitter things. I mean, obviously, I, I love drinking coffee black. But man, I, one of my favorite types of beer is barley wine, and I just I think I just love the punch of flavor. Even though it's like barley wine, definitely can come across as very syrupy, which you can definitely describe this as some syrupiness going on. But man, I. I I have a home in my heart for the dessert beer for sure. Well, how was your disc golf week? Disc golf week. Oh man. Uh, well, I'm on the mend. I I I found out that I think I got diagnosed with a MCL sprain or strain. I still never know what's the right word to say. And um, to be clear, this was not a disc golf injury. This is a softball injury. This is so not even an exciting everyone's, softball injury. Literally just shame him. Sliding back into first base. Nothing exciting. I was safe, which doesn't matter because I got injured. <laughs> did you? Score, was it worth it? Did no. you get to get home plate? I think I did. Oh, that's something at least. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. You enough, didn't get a designated runner in. No, I I had no idea that I was injured until I woke up in the middle of the night in significant pain. 
So I had enough adrenaline pumping that I had no clue. <laughs> but disc golf week, I finally got to get around in. I got to, let's see, Sunday night. Um, I am feeling good enough to go out, and I wanted to test it out. We went and played our putter course, Westlake, with it was just me and Josiah and our buddy Micah. Um, and it was fun. We had some fun games with each other, of which um, I would like to say that I significantly kicked Josiah's butt. Dude, your putting was so good. I, like your, it's a short putter course, and your polecat and berg shots were solid, but your putting was as good as I've seen it. And you have one knee. Well, thanks, man. I think a large part of it. I was thinking about this while we were talking on the second cup. I think a large part of this, when I am sitting around a lot, I do think and process through my putting and my drives a lot. Um, and I walk through it constantly. And so, so I feel you like you almost Westlake and how you're going to nail all your circle two putts. I, I feel like you, you almost get outside of the doing of something and just going through the process methodically in your head. And so sometimes I feel like it clears my head in a way as far as simplifying. And I used to do the same thing with baseball as I would just go through the motions every single time when it comes to diving for a ball or something. I've done it so many times in my head that you don't think about it when you do it. Um, and so I think that has something to do with it. And maybe I, I I went out and I just was enjoying, I was so stoked just to be playing um, that I, I played really well and I was really pumped about it. About mid- And I definitely was passively just kind of rubbing it in Josiah's face as we were going along. <laughs> about midway through that round, I was like, I'm going to have to actually focus on my putts right now because David's not letting up. <laughs> so I was like, I went into like tournament focus mode for about five holes and then I lost it again. But yeah. I definitely had in my head that I was going to go 18 for 18. And then when I missed the one, I'm like, I'm still going to go 17 for 18. But I think I ended up 15. Yeah, I think part of it is that Mike and I had given up at that point. We were playing a game we made up at the time, which is you're going to throw three shots and you it's you putt from your worst or upshot from your worst two. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's a very easy putter course, but that added some challenge because if you shanked any of them or even if you park the hole, you don't get to count that one. If you shank yeah. it, you still got to putt from circle two or do yeah. an upshot. So I felt like it was a good game to practice consistency. And yeah. it, it obviously showed that you have that um, in spades, which was kind of fun to see and also super annoying. Felt good. How was your week, Josiah? Dude, my disc golf week has been fine. It was fun to play with you and Micah. It was good to be back out. Westlake is sometimes a course that is a little boring because most of the holes are sub 200. I think there's only one over 200. So you're talking about a very short course. And my putting game and my game in general feels a little off. And so it's annoying when you don't birdie rather than like exciting when you do. Um, but it's still fun to hang out with you guys, and it's fun to check out the Polecat and get some Berg shots in. I've played a few rounds while you've been out. Um, what? what? One with your twin brother. I know it's basically cheating on you, but <laughs> uh, I played one with my brother and a few morning rounds at Watson. So um, game feels fine. I was talking about in the second cup, our Patreon bonus podcast, but um, just to shorten it here, I've been trying to fix some things and clean up some things in my game from a form perspective, but we've got a tournament coming up in a week and a half. So 
I just realized it was a week and a half. The summer's been flying by, so now I'm going to switch gears or try to to just go with what I got and try to gain confidence and get comfortable with where I'm at, get the putting where it needs to be, and then move on. But I do like what you're talking about, about mentally envisioning the shots and the game. And I think it reminds me of when we had JC Kester on the show and he was talking about, hey, when you have a when you're playing poorly, take some time off. When you're playing well, like keep rolling with it. I think sometimes it is good just to get a step back because sometimes the bad habits you've built um, or the way you've complicated the game, either in your mind or mechanically, start to fall away. So um, I definitely buy that. I also try to envision my shots before tournaments and stuff. Um, Wait, does that mean I need to go out and try to beat uh, your score at Watson? Well. I think you're going to have a hard time doing it. <laughs> and I think you may injure yourself trying. <laughs> but if you beat my score at Watson, uh, we'll have to have some kind of friendly wager. If we, if you beat my score at Watson, I will only throw putters for the upcoming tournament. <laughs> I probably will still be fine, unless it's really windy. <laughs> yeah, I get, you got the berg. So as long as you can throw the berg, you're good. I, I think I might need a zone. Does that count as putter? That counts. Okay. Putting cool. approach. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good. <laughs> and a buzz and then a wraith. I mean, <laughs> those are all putters. Right? I mean, I put with my firebird, so. <laughs> That's true. That could be helpful. <laughs> you want to get into a pro tip? Uh, let's do it. Uh, Jessica Weiss was kind enough to get back to me on a pro tip. And I asked her, hey, what's one thing that keeps AMs and lower level open players from building their games? And she said it quite simply and directly. She said, full commitment. And I thought we could frame this conversation in a few ways, but the first thing I thought about, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is what is full commitment for people? Because our listeners and, and even even you and I have different levels of responsibilities, different areas of responsibilities, different lives. You may We probably have a listener or two, um, maybe 100, who really think, hey, pro disc golf is what I'm hoping for, what I'm working towards. You have a lot of listeners like us who just want to get better within the context of our our local tournaments and friend groups and that sort of thing. You have some people who don't have time even to really get better. They're just trying to enjoy their game. And so for Jessica Weiss, she's a professional. It's what she does. And so it makes sense. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you hit it on the head just starting off with. It depends on what your goals are with that. It's a full commitment as far as, I mean, if you're wanting to be a professional disc golfer and you're, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't even say you have to be young enough. Like, who knows? I mean, it's getting really competitive. But, uh, and that's your goal. I think in some way you have to have a lifestyle that isn't focused entirely on your day job. You, if, if you want to be a professional disc golfer, I mean, that is becoming your day-to-day lifestyle. Um I think for us, at least for me personally, uh, disc golf is something that, yes, I want to get better at. Um, I see it as a mental health thing for me, a community thing, um, and something that keeps me physically in shape um, that translates to also the mental side of things, um, just enjoying the mental challenge. Um, And so I think full commitment in the sense of um, I want to get better learning, I think, commitment in the sense of when you do step on the course, um, ask yourself, what what do I want from this? Do I just want the, 
um, casual round that I, I'm not really worrying about um, getting better. I'm not worried about my form, whatever it might be. Because um, I think depending on the season too, it might change for you. Because I think early on in playing disc golf, I would have said that I just want to come out here and throw throw something with my friends. Um, but now it's gotten to the point to where I realized how fun it can be to have something that challenges me mechanically to train my body in a way that can improve at something and get continually get better and challenge my friends to get better. Um, and it's just this fun game that we play of kind of like pushing. I, I love you're in my relationship and my relationship with my brother and Micah and um, all the different guys we play with as far as kind of just challenging each other to get better. Um, I think for us, it's it makes it fun for us, um, just the challenge of that. And so I think the com- what that means for me, like obviously I'm not trying to be a professional disc golfer. If that lands in my lap and I start having incredible rounds, by all means. I feel like, but, uh, hey, John, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't work any more shifts at the coffee shop. That, <laughs> that's not an expectation of mine. But uh, um, I want to continue to put uh, commitment forward um, as far as this is something I really value um, as far as taking care of I, I genuinely feel like it, it fulfills taking care of physical health, mental health, and building community, um, and just feeling like I'm building relationships with a group of guys, um, and I enjoy getting better together. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of, I guess, the commitment for um, who I am. And obviously, I think Jessica Weiss is I'm talking a little bit more of in the sense that if you want to become a prof- professional, devote your life to this which yeah. yeah absolutely yeah i was chatting with uh greg barsby the other day no name dropping or whatever but uh he was saying something very similar basically like hey if you want to get to the level that you are consistently competing at the pro tour you have to be committed fully committed and i think there's actually there's less and less of an opportunity in pro disc golf now to just like have a day job and then do disc golf on the weekends and just show up and place in the top 10 mm-hmm. like on, on on tour at least there's just not that opportunity and so i do think that increasingly commitment matters and we were talking about um talking to jc kester and he was just talking hey look everybody's it's becoming a professional sport like not just professional with big quotation marks around it like these guys are working hard. They're watching what they eat. They're exercising. They're preparing their bodies. They're thinking through the mental side of the game, you know. And so, I do think, I mean, makes total sense from her perspective. And I love what you said. I can't can't really add to it. I feel like you encapsulated. I think what I want to want out of disc golf. I, sometimes I want to get better simply because it's something that's in front of me, and I don't think about the bigger implications of why I would want to get better. Um, and I think, but I think disc golf, like we've talked about so much and sports in general are such a metaphor for life. And I think one thing that I'm working on in my life right now, and I'm really bad at it, but I've realized I need to work on it is to be committed to the thing that you're doing, whatever it is. So if you're drinking a cup of coffee, like enjoy that coffee, be, be there drinking your coffee. Don't be, you know, distracted by 17 other things and forget that you actually drink it. You know, if you're, if you're playing a casual round and you're you want you're just having fun with friends, then have fun. Don't get mad at bad shots. Like just enjoy your time. If you're 
doing field work and you want to work on form, don't slough off, like work hard, like take that time and really focus on it. If your putting practice is just going through the motions, you're not going to gain anything from it. And so for me, whether in disc golf or life, I feel like just this idea of whatever you're doing, whatever you've already chosen to do, you've already chosen to do it. You've already made time for it. Do it. And I think for me, I'm saying that for everybody, but for me, that's really one of the things I really want to do is like, if I'm driving, I want to be driving. I don't want to be like thinking about the text that I want to send at the stoplight. You know, if I'm hanging out with my wife, I want to be hanging out with my wife. I don't want to be distracted by something else. If I'm in a tournament and I'm, you know, lining up a shot, I don't want to be thinking about my competitors or anything else. I just want to be thinking that that shot and commit to that shot. And I think that while we, you and I are unlikely to ever go on tour and become professional disc golfers unless I do actually fix my form and my putting and my upshots and maybe get a little bit more athletic. You know, there's, there's a chance, you know, but, but the reality is that we can be better disc golfers within the time we already are allotting to disc golf without even adding more time by being committed to the thing we're doing when we're doing the thing. Yeah. I love the language that you use with the commitment to the thing that you're doing. There's, if you can sit over just enjoying the aspect or the realization or the, the moment of drinking a cup of coffee, something as simple as that, as a discipline, um, then when it comes to, I mean, I think so many times of that I've stepped up on a tee pad in a tournament and just gone up and drove my drive without even really thinking or processing through it, just trying to get it out there and make it happen without even methodically processing through my shot. Um, and I guess being present with the shot. I'm just going up and doing the thing as opposed to um, walking through the thing, I guess, or being present with the thing. Um, so I think thinking about those little disciplines, I love the way that you communicated with that being committed to the thing that you're doing. Um, cause I think that just translates across the board. You think about when you're focused on little things, the big things become a lot easier to focus on. So, yeah, I like that. I think that's something that I, I I'd like to take into, I, I'd like to be more intentional with my shots when, especially in drives and tournaments at times. Yeah, and I think there's some balance between being committed and present and overthinking. And I think you weren't communicating this at all, I think. But my general tendency is to either do something without thinking at all or completely, completely overthink it to the point where I mess myself up. And so there's this like fine line where you are present and aware of what's going on, but you're not actually like, you're like, Oh, I just made that circle two putt. You're not like, Hey, I perfectly aligned this and then put it on the right angle and everything worked out. You're like, no, I really focused on the goal and the target and committed to my shot, my putt, whatever that is. And the thing, my body did what it needed to do. And I think that the, I'll, I'll, the only thing, distinction I'm trying to make there, I guess, is that commitment doesn't have to mean overthinking. It can mean, choosing to focus on the few things that you know that if you focus on the rest will take care of itself which once again i think there's a lot of life metaphors there as well yeah absolutely i love that we always (laughs) it's so natural to take so much of what you do in disc golf and apply it to life because it's i 
I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's fun. Well, and it's like, it's just, it's also a secondary benefit of yeah. the sport in general. Yep. And we'll get into just disc golf for fun, but I feel like in general, anything in life that you can gain both the thing that you're doing, gain something out of, like the enjoyment of playing disc golf and principles or help. It's like cross training. You know, it's like maybe you swim to get better at disc golf. Well, maybe you disc golf to get better at your job, you know, or maybe you, maybe I occasionally I tell myself like, I need to really focus on my job so I can focus on my disc golf shots. You can see where my priorities might be backwards in life there. Very sure. Oh man. The other thing that Jessica Weiss mentioned that I thought I'd bring up for, I think it's good in general, but I think especially for those young disc golfers or content creators who might be listening to it or old disc golfers and old content creators, middle age, anybody there. Um, but I asked her, Hey, what's one thing you wish you knew when you were first building your game? And she kind of came out a little bit surprised by it, but it makes sense once I think about it. But she says, I wish I had known how to approach more people who can help me with my future, successful people with big connections. And I think that there is this level to which so many of us are intimidated by people unnecessarily. Like they don't give us any reason to be intimidated by them, but just the idea that like, oh, this person owns a business or like JC Kester, who's like, yeah, come play with me anytime. Yet, you know, he's a pro disc, a local pro disc golfer. And a lot of people, myself included, would feel pretty weird about being like, hey, JC, love to play around with you. Um, But I've found in life and even in this podcast that not everybody, but a lot of people are much more approachable than you think. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I've kind of verbalized before. I I kind of view myself as when people have experience or um, especially at least a presence um, are more well-known, I guess, in a community or whatever it might be. Um, I naturally view myself as being a nuisance uh, until proven otherwise. And so it's hard for me to engage. I mean, yeah, then talking about J.C. Kessler is perfect of like, like, ah, he would never want to play around with me. <laughs> but the fact that, I mean, he was so down to earth being able to sit down and chat with him of, um, and just so pumped about, no, if you guys ever want to play, I'd love to be able to. And yeah, just realizing that I mean, being able to pick people's brains and just, I mean, again, at whatever it is to you that, uh, with, that you want out of disc golf or whatever it is in life, Um, but just, I I think so many times as human beings, um, we get so caught up in our head about things as opposed to just being human and just accepting the fact that we are human and we are all in this life together and like, it's fun to share life together. Um, you kind of got to push back, push past those, um, I guess those lies, I guess that we tell ourselves. Yeah, I think it's natural just to rank ourselves in some way. Like, <laughs> oh, J.C. Kester is like, you know, 100 rating points better than me. So he's like 100 rating points of a person I can't really talk to. Uh, and this person, you know, is is somehow I'm superior to them. And we like like to we like to try to organize ourselves organize ourselves in these sort of things. Like this person is successful, I'm not, or this person is not successful, and I am. Um, and whatever that thing is, and depending on how we're feeling and what our tendencies are, we may you know, tend to be a little more down on ourselves in that or up on ourselves. Excuse me. But I think it's such a big thing to just say, people are all human. Yeah. We all have struggles. Like I, I play in the mornings at, at Watson Island and we have 
a pretty uh, significant homeless population around there. And I've just been struck in the mornings like, man, these are just people. Like you, I can get a little bit frustrated at times when it feels like the course is not really playable or, you know, whatever else is going on. It's, it's during the day, you don't ever notice anything. But if you get there at six o'clock or five forty, then uh, people are waking up and, and clearing out. And I think I've just realized like, no, people are people like Paul Macbeth is just a person with his own struggles and strengths and weaknesses. You know, David Foster, you're just a person with your own struggles and strengths and weaknesses. Um, and you have, you know, each person has value and worth and they also have problems and issues. And so somebody may be aloof and they may have an inflated view of themselves. They may not be humble. They may not be kind. They may blow you off. But so many people are just way more approachable than you'd think, way more willing to help than you'd think. And it, the only way you can figure that out is by reaching out and trying. Yeah. I mean, I think of it in the sense that uh, uh, something, I guess, relatable um, as far as my job with coffee, people just automatically assume because I work for a craft coffee shop, um, I have preconceived uh, or I have a higher sense of coffee knowledge or um, a, a higher palate that other people can't really attain. Um, and I don't have an appreciation. And I would be ashamed to know that they drink the Green Mermaid or the uh, Folgers at home or whatever it might be. And it's funny because I, I, I enjoy the occasional uh, diner cup of coffee. I, I'm not ashamed. I just enjoy, I enjoy coffee and enjoy where it's come can, came from, and can enjoy the or appreciate the fact that people enjoy what they enjoy, and people don't need to. We all don't need to enjoy the same things, uh, <coughs> but uh, I think the more that we can be be more approachable as humans and realize that other people are human as well and just enjoy being approached. I mean, there's obviously some people that maybe don't like being approached, but even if they do <laughs> like, like Paul Macbeth, like I'm sure he's tired of it. Yeah. Uh, because he's a fairly introverted person and he's a public figure, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's okay. That's fine. Then maybe it's not Paul Macbeth, but you know, just remember this podcast. I mean, pro disc golf is still a place where, People are fairly accessible and fairly open. And so it's it's a pretty cool world. Mm -hmm. Other thing I thought it'd be fun to get into and maybe helpful for people both who are beginners starting out as well as somebody who might have a buddy or a friend or a family member who would like to get into disc golf. We could talk about a five disc starter pack or bag that you would give somebody who is just starting out. Now, there's going to be a big difference to me, like relative athleticism and age and all that. Like there is some degree to which, you know, if, if uh, somebody's a uh, pitches 90 miles an hour and they want to play disc golf in their spare time, then that's going to be different. But I would say this would be just your typical person fresh on the course. And we didn't, we didn't discuss this before, I think we'll just kind of each give one disc back and forth and go from there. Cool. I was going like, to pitch. I, one thing that we talked about with the overthrow guys that I, I really loved, um, I think it was um, Josh mentioned that one of the things he first asks um, are uh, pre like previous skills or whatnot, whether if they played baseball, um, whatever it might be that they he feels that they might be better forehand or backhand. Um, so, I mean, that might impact 
how okay. we build our five five discs. Do I you think, have five discs in mind, or can I make up a theoretical person? You can make up a theoretical person. I don't have five okay. discs in mind. Okay, I'm going to say this person is a uh, 28-year-old female former pole vaulter and <laughs> and wants to play disc golf. All right. So relatively athletic. Yep. We're going to start with putter, right? And yeah, mo- move up. That's what I was going to do. Okay. Are you wanting me to start with the putter? Yes. Um, I think putter in general comes down to feel. I think in general... Um, Anybody can find a putter to putt with. I don't. Th- I don't think there's one way or the highway. Um, and so I think ultimately, I would say come down to feel for the person. I think there's two types of feel uh, for me as far as a general uh, consensus. There's the bead on the bottom, and then there's the would you say beveled like the AVR? Just beadless. Beadless, yeah. Um, and I think really it comes down to preference. But for me, if I was going to build a bag. For a friend, um, I would naturally go with the wizard just because it's what I use and I have a bunch. Um, and I I would happily give a wizard to a buddy that was building a bag. And so I think I would start there. If it wasn't the wizard, I would do it. Should we say that? If it wasn't, let's sure. just, sure. if it wasn't the wizard, I probably would throw, um, I probably would put in there the AVR. Yeah. Um, I think the AVR is another one that I um, kind of started messing around with. I just didn't really like the hand feel for it. Um, but I feel like it is, I mean, you can't really go wrong. I just feel like it's an easy disc to find at a disc store. Yep. Um, you're always going to be able to find an AVR. And I think that's one of the more important things earlier on, not finding the, um, uh, not needing to get a hold of all the, the best discs. Oh, man. Now you're going to be like, <laughs> oh, you have to have availability if they lose one. Now then they can try a new one. Uh, I like the Wizard, obviously. My only thing with the Wizard is I feel like it's, pretty stable as a throwing putter to start like maybe a little bit more stable than than i would necessarily want but it is a pole vaulter so maybe it'd work out uh as a putting putter i absolutely love it uh i'm gonna go with the castoplast rico you weren't here for the review of that mm-hmm. but it's it's got a micro bead so i think a beadless person's not gonna mind it and someone who likes a bead as long as they don't need a huge bead super deep putter is going to enjoy it. I really like it as a like super neutral straight throwing putter. And I feel like that's kind of, to me, the, the bedrock of any good bag is um, a putter that you can both feel comfortable putting with and throwing with initially. Um, that's going to be like neutral and straight um, for backhand. Now, forehand, I think the Rico works, but you may want something a little bit faster, a little bit more stable. But I think either way, you should learn that that straight putter shot. So I'm going to say a Rico and specifically a base plastic. So a K3 Rico. I like it. What would be your next, next disc? It doesn't have to be in speed order necessarily. It could be For just sure. what the next one is. Buzz. Um, I think uh, you looked at me like you, I just stole your next one. I mean, I can say the same thing. I, uh, <laughs> um, I think that was one of the first things that was told to me early on that everybody should have a buzz in their, in their bag. And I think I still agree with that to the to the day. At the time, I didn't really know much about disc golf or discs or anything. I just heard the statement and I got a buzz because I wanted to learn how to throw it if a lot of people were throwing it. And I love the buzz because it's one of those discs that can really help you begin to understand putting a disc on a line and getting it to hold a line. Um, and uh, for me, it was also one that I felt like I was beginning to understand utility-wise what I can do with a disc. 
Um, I just feel like there's a lot of uses for the buzz along with being that kind of straight shooter uh, mid-range along with um, that, that being able to throw a little anhyzer that's going to hold a line for you uh, or put it on a little baby hyzer that's going to kind of have a little bit of a glide to it. Um, there's just so much that you can do with it and learn with it that I feel like that can help you build the basics of your game. Um, not only at the beginning, but for the trajectory for the long haul, I think it's a disc that I can never really pull out of my bag. Um, I think obviously there might be some so discs I can, I can replace straight mid range. Yeah, no, there, there might be some that you can replace it with, but I think as a general consensus is an easy one to find. Um, and you're always going to find people raving about it. And so you can at least connect with that with your buddies. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go with the destroyer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going yeah. with the buzz as well. <laughs> I, I totally agree with everything you said. I think it's, it's a good disc in that it can handle some power and it can handle some torque, but it's also doesn't require, it doesn't have such a high power requirement that you can't figure it out as a, a new person. I think that reality is that I'd likely, and we can talk about it later, I'd want to pair it with something a little bit less stable if the person was primarily backhand thrower. I think the Buzz would be a great first forehand disc, um, but I'd probably want something a little less stable for the backhand thrower uh, to start out. But I think in general, like that's a disc that will, it may be your overstable mid starting out, um, when you first getting power or whatever, it might be your approach disc, but as you build up power and as the disc wears, it's going to get nice and straight and it's going to be a disc that, like you said, can stay in the bag or you can base every other mid range by it and just find something you like better. Yeah. You know, what's funny is when I, we, when I began to think about this, I initially thought of the zone, but I don't think I would have fared well if I got the zone early on in my game. I think you introduced the zone to me at a time to where I was getting frustrated with what I could no longer do with what I had. Um, and I was looking for answers. Um, and when you handed me the zone, I felt like it answered for me what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty big mistake on my part. <laughs> if I hadn't given you the zone and the firebird, I would, I don't I, know who I I'd have be. a good, I think I would have <laughs> definitely beat you uh, on Monday night. Or uh, Sunday night. Oh, for sure. I don't. I think I'd be a completely different player if you didn't hand me those two discs. Yeah. Now I dragged you on a podcast, and you keep getting better. I don't like it. <laughs> so a third disc after the buzz. You know, I'm gonna jump up. Um. Oh man, I'm gonna jump up to a uh, fairway driver. I think I wouldn't hand anything more than an eight speed. Uh, to a friend that's beginning. I think e um, I'm trying to think even with a forehand. Um, I think a good beginning. I I mean I have it in my bag now. I think I would either go a T bird or a T bird three. Um, as far as it gives you some stability. Um, and I think I probably would want to go star plastic because it kind of. I, I want something in the bag that's going to teach my friend um, the sense of stability. Yeah. Because um, I think if you only have the concept of um, an understable disc um, early on, um, it doesn't um, help you build the concepts earlier on. 
Um, and I think that's, for me, I was throwing mostly just understable stuff early on or something that just a uh, super high-speed driver. So I didn't really understand what I was doing or throwing. Um, but I think a, a T-Bird or a T-Bird 3 would be the next one for me. Yeah, um, and it can kind of act like a Firebird if they're a little less power yep, player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let the disc do some work. I like that. I I think I'm going to go with another. I, I think I would pick an understable mid. And this may overlap with the, the buzz. You know what? I'm I'm making a, an adjustment. I'm going to go Mako 3 over buzz. And the reason I'm going to go that is... Mako I, would be so I proud. I so think proud. it's just a little bit more neutral. So take back my buzz. Everything you said about the buzz, but one, less st- tick, one tick less stable. I don't throw them commonly but i know what they do i think it may be for my person in mind they're backhanded because of course all the best players are they tend towards the backhand um <laughs> but uh but i think i'm gonna go make a three and then and then the buzz and i those are very similar discs and it may seem silly to have both but no sorry this is a lot of wishy-washiness make a three and then crave I like the Crave. It's nice and straight. It's on, honestly like the fairway version of a Buzz in a lot of ways. It's not quite, can't take quite as much torque. It has a t- tiny bit more fade, but it's that dead straight disc. It's, I think if you go Rico, Mako 3, Crave, if they had a little bit more power, I would tend towards the Buzz and maybe the Servo, but just my imagined player doesn't have quite that much power to very start out. And I think those would be three neutral straight discs that they could learn to throw straight, controlled shots. If they if they get too crazy on an Annie or a Heiser, the disc is going to show them what they're doing wrong. Um, I apologize for my lack of commitment here. I didn't write these down early on, and I just thought make a three. And so, I just got really jealous of you tossing the Crave in there. That's one that I I wasn't thinking of, but I absolutely would incorporate in there and. Well, there's still time. There's still time. This would be disc number four. The Crave is more neutral, and I would want something a bit more understable in the bag. But uh, would I go with like three fairway drivers? Or oh, because you're going to give them the essence too? No, uh, I I T-Bird, honestly wasn't really sure. T-Bird, what. T-Bird I, three. I think I would go um, Crave over Essence um, as. Uh, as far as because the cra- the crave is six speed, right? Yes, yeah, whatever six um, seven something there. Yeah, MVP I, says or Axiom says six and a half. So this sure the crave was the perfect step up for me from the buzz. As far as I, it, it still was the same concept. I felt like I can do the same type of things, but I can throw it a little further. Yeah, um, which I think having those two discs in your bag for me early on. Um, just helps you build a center. Um, and so I think I would really like having a Crave in the bag. It's kind of that main backhanded driver. Yeah. No, I think it's a great... I think what you said is the same reason I would use it for sure. So, and and I think honestly the T-Bird 3 or T-Bird as your like overstable disc. Yep. And then having the Crave, it's going to be clearly way less stable. So yes. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so... That's four for you. I will add the heat. I've really enjoyed throwing the heat. I think it's 
a bit less stable than the Crave. I'd probably give the give maybe a lighter weight one or or one in a ESP or something like that. Um, but it will be that kind of understable disc. Um, but it'll also be a good distance driver. And I think that like nine speed is as fast as I would want to give somebody. But everybody wants to throw further, and I think that disc just kind of goes further than all your other ones is fun to have. And I think a understable disc allows you to learn eventually has your flips but even if you don't get there and immediately being able to throw something that that has some good turn and fade to it you can get an extra 10 or 15 feet and that's going to feel good i like that i think those are really like when i think of how i would build somebody's bag early on that's kind of like four i didn't really think about it but four discs is where I think is a good place to start. I think there's plenty of other discs that we can toss in there that can help out. Um, but as far as a beginner player, I, I wouldn't mind stopping there. I'm trying to think of a disc. Yeah. I, I so kind of want you to go first. Cause I can give I, my fifth. It, you should give your fifth. Cause I honestly, so I don't have anything that's stable, like overstable in the bag at all. Yeah. So you do with the T-Bird 3, which but, I think yeah. is overstable for most yeah. new players. I'd probably give something stable to overstable. This is the one that I feel like a little bit hesitant on because it would, it's really hard to know what that's going to be for people. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes like when I when I first got up to elevation and I hadn't thrown in a while, I thought a T-Bird was going to be a straight disc for me and it just dumped out of the sky. Mm-hmm. I thought a Thunderbird was going to be like a distance driver for me and it was like so stupid stable. Uh, for my arm so i but i do think something more stable something that's going to hold up in the wind something that will teach you like you said with a t-bird your um the stability of the disc something that will work for you i i think like the onyx in my bag but slower so t-bird would make sense um i'm gonna say this is hard because it's not an area i'm gonna say mm, I'm going to say the resistor, which is kind of like a baby firebird. It would be way too stable. Um, depending on what run you got, the most recent runs are back to being a little bit more stable. But the the run that I throw the most is almost like a T-bird, but it just doesn't have much glide. So it's really straight with a hard fade. I think it would be way too stable for most people to be a utility disc early on. But I think it could work into the bag eventually. And if they end up having a lot of torque or this pole vaulter, I guess maybe that's like, maybe I'm demonstrating to David an overhand shot. So Mm -hmm. maybe they would have that as a a shot and need something flatter and more stable. And I think that would be the least used disc. And I think it'd be the first one. If I was not going to give somebody a disc, I'd just say, Hey, look, if it's 30 mile an hour winds, just play for fun anyway and try not to get your disc in the water because it's not going to matter. But th- mm-hmm. those would be my five. Well, we'll summarize after you give your fifth. Do I have to give a fifth one? Yeah. Okay, so let's just go through what you got. You got a I, wizard. I got a wizard. A buzz. I got a buzz. A I got crave, a crave. And I got a T-Bird 3. Would you want anything less stable, more stable, faster, slower? If anything, I would want something more understable. So, um, what, so what if we, we thrown, would you even put a sail in there? Uh, so I considered the sale. I don't like that it's labeled an 11 speed uh, because I don't want to encourage my friend that they can go pick up an 11 back, speed disc. Because of your experience throwing yes. uh, I was 13, 13 speed, speed discs right off the on bat. 180 foot holes. Yes. Um, I don't want my friend to think that um, what if an we, 11 speed disc is, is a normal thing. What for, if we just 
took the flight numbers and used and some acetone and I absolutely it would. I think it's I think the sail is a perfect disc for um for a beginner and I think it's I mean it's a great disc for anyone. Um Yes. I think if the I think if the sail was not labeled an 11 speed it's a nine it's speed a disc, disc with that i would love because it genuinely helps you build the concept of an understable disc yeah and i think in that like 150 ish 157 gram mm-hmm. weight we had yes it's truly understable yes yeah i like that choice a lot uh, i know i kind of prompted it but i liked it a yeah. lot so i i was toying with the idea of it in my head but i was like i can't really go there because i don't again i and I get why they named it eleven. I why they have it as an eleven speed, but I just wouldn't. I feel I, I like I don't get it. I wouldn't. I don't get I, it. Tyler Brinkley, I know you're listening. I, <laughs> it's a nine speed. I wouldn't want to build that concept in my friend's head because I feel like it gives a false concept of what the speeds are of discs. Yeah, and honestly, like if you just want to throw a wraith or a destroyer, so be it. But you've learned painfully how much wasted effort you had. Throwing fastest early. Hey, I got a I got an ace with the PD two on a one hundred and eighty foot hole, man. Yes, and that was also <laughs> the very beginning of you realizing that understable uh, high speed discs have their place, but it's yeah, not but it's every hole. It is not every hole. And it's not for every upshot. <laughs> I think I introduced you PD two first because I knew you wanted something fast. Mm-hmm. And then was it Firebird and then zone. Yeah, no, it was zone, <laughs> zone and then firebird. Yeah, yeah. something. I want yeah. something between. Yeah, Josiah graciously got zones for all of our friends. I think he was tired of just watching us struggle with our upshots with our drivers. He just bought a zone for all of us and said, "Guys, take this." Well, there's like four <laughs> of you guys that all threw four hands and all only ever threw drivers for from the T pad. And this is a good point that I think people don't realize. Like, you throw a driver from the tee pad, a mid-range for an upshot, and a putter for only putting. And I think sometimes the names of the discs, if you're new, that's kind of what you'd expect. Like, mm-hmm. hey, it's a drive, I throw the driver. Mm-hmm. It's a mid-range, that's for upshots, and it's a putter. So if it's, like, just outside of your putting range, well, you're going to have to take out the buzz, right? Yeah. Because it's your upshot yeah. disc. And so I do think that being able to realize that you can drive with putters, and if you're David, putt with drivers – um, the flat top firebird putts are like at a fantastic 95% C1X <laughs> flat top firebird <laughs> for the win. Um, but yeah, so in summary, for me, Rico, Mako 3, unless they had a lot of some natural, a little bit more natural athleticism, I'd probably give them a buzz. The rest would be the same. Crave, Heat would give maybe a lighter weight or more beat up one if they needed something a little less stable. And the resistor as kind of the fifth as a utility disc. And for you, it was... The Wizard, the Buzz, the Crave, the T-Bird 3, and the Sail. Yeah, I think those are good discs and good bags. I think if anybody... uh, Obviously, you can use your own experience. But I think it's a fun thought experiment. And I think I agree. I think four discs is enough. Mm-hmm. I think three kind of limits you because I think you want something stable as a driver and something understable as a driver just to get this feel for it. But I think four may be enough, but it's five for the podcast. Yeah, I think early on, the major thing is building concepts, understanding the game. So I think for me, I just, I genuinely didn't understand understable and overstable. I heard it a hundred times from Josiah and other people. 
but I still had a really hard time wrapping my mind around it of when to use what. And I mean, I, but I guess I'm just really slow at processing. No, 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 no. I think it's honestly like there's so many different concepts, like the fact that you can throw an understable disc to get a big hyzer. Yep. And there's still a lot to learn for all of us. I think the one other thing I'd say is just in general, what I'd probably do if I could do it is take somebody out with, with those three discs or four discs, but don't give them to them all at once. Mm-hmm. and give them the putter, let them throw it for a while, and you can kind of determine as their quote-unquote coach, uh, not quite as you know technically sound as, as Josh or funny as Mikey, maybe, but as a coach, you can tell them, hey, this is, this is a putter, but you can use it for drives and upshots, everything, and they go pretty far once you get used to them. Cause I th- and then, oh, it looks like you're kind of getting the putter figured out. Maybe I'll give you a mid, or maybe now we're just going to do putter this whole round, and maybe I'll just throw putters too. I think if you did somebody something with that with somebody early on and walk them through that, their enjoyment of the game and their like they're gonna have like they're gonna take so many bro blocks out of their way for sure, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I would give um, flat top Firebird and Tilt Destroyer and PD two PD two. Good luck. <laughs> Oh, man. You want to get into a disc review? Let's do it. We've got the Innova Polecat, which is a one-speed, three-glide, zero-turn, and zero-fade putter-slash-approach disc. Yeah. You Polecat gang can tell us what we're supposed to call it, but whatever it is, it's slow. It's pretty straight. What do you think about it, David? It's fun. It's a, it's a fun disc for sure. Um, I think the closest that... In a way, I started to. I was asking Josiah how it compares to the Berg. Um, the Berg is obviously more stable. Um, I'd say I see the one, I see the three. Um, I it feels more understable to me than the numbers put it out to be, as far as being neutral. Um, especially the DX plastic, it just felt like it really kept running uh, for me, uh, and. Uh, I had a really hard time gaining control initially until I started kicking uh, Josiah and Micah. Yeah, you butt. figured it out. <laughs> you figured it out just fine. Um, but it's a really fun disc. I do genuinely feel like you could. Um, it cleans up your form, I guess, or slows you down. Um, and really, you really have to focus on controlling your release point because if you're snapping it or putting it on too much of an ante or snapping it too hard, um, uh, it's gonna keep running on you and it's not gonna go in the direction you want it to um yeah it's a fun disc for sure definitely on the understable side for me yeah i i agree and disagree with the understable i think what it is is that it it requires and maybe this is understable i don't know but it requires clean spin i think and it doesn't handle speed very well so if you throw it like on a regular approach shot, I feel like it's very straight. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's got very little turn and very little fade. If you give it torque, and you could read that as power or speed or whatever, but I'd say torque, you will see it tend towards being understable. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's one of those discs that if you think, I think the problem I had with it, and I played a bit of around with it and did some field work as well after um, we hung out and threw it, but. I think it's one of those things that I had this shot where I wanted it to turn right and it was, 
no, it's not very far. It's like 150 feet or something like that, 125 feet. And I threw it at a tree flat, expecting it to pan right. And I think I threw it really flat because I hit the tree, like square on, just stayed on the tree the whole time. Um, and I realized in that shot, and I think I had been thinking about it before, it's not that it's understable. It's just that it's not the, the Berg, and we got to bring it up because it's our baby, uh, is, has the same stability at so many different power levels mm-hmm. that you, it's not that it's overstable. It's stable at a variety of power levels. I think the buzz is also like this to a lesser degree, but it's very stable at a variety of power levels. And I think that the polecat is one to me at least, and I don't have the cleanest form, but to me, it's one that it's very straight until it's not. And I think because of that, sometimes it can feel like unpredictable, unreliable. And where the Berg, even if you torque it, it's going to just kind of return back to straight. This is going to, for a right-hand backhand, it's going to just decide to go right. And then because it has no fade, it never comes out of it. Yeah, the Berg's an unfair disc to compare anything to because <laughs> it honestly doesn't make sense to me how consistently it handles torque, every, everything across the board. I don't understand how it handles everything. It's unique for uh, sure. But uh, yeah, I, I love the Polecat and putting... You can put a really big wide ante on it, and man, it it has some glide to it. It it keeps pushing out. I mean, the Berg's gonna drop out on you completely, and it will definitely hyzer out a little bit at the end. But man, the Polecat will just keep running for you, and it definitely has some glide to it. That's gonna yeah, keep going. It does. I kind of it took me a while to get used to that throwing the Berg, and then getting the Polecat was just just as slow. I feel like. But it just it doesn't drop out nearly as easily, just like you're saying. So I, I totally agree with the one. I totally agree with the three. I would say zero zero. I'm fine with it. I could easily see negative one zero. That's what I would have said. The halo, I'd say, is more like the halo makes sense as far as the one three zero zero to me. Yeah, it it has a tiny bit of fade at the end, more yeah, than the DX. I get that. Um, it also handles power a little bit better. Um, it's I think the DX is the more unique disc though. Because mm-hmm. I think you can the the polecat the halo almost becomes like a bit like another typical putter just a little slower mm-hmm. and I think the polecat with the DX has that straight drop just like the Berg the straight drop where it doesn't fade at all the difference is the Berg you can put a lot more torque on it and it's going to kind of straighten out mm-hmm. no matter what line you put it on it kind of wants to straighten out the polecat follows whatever line you put it on um, as long as you're releasing cleanly. And then it doesn't fade. It just has that straight drop. For sure. Uh, it's If you guys haven't held a polecat, you should. It mm. is basically, if you were like had a big uh, can of protein uh, mix, I don't, or I don't know what else comes with a very large lid, a bear canister if you're a hiker, yeah. it's a lid. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fairly flat up top and it goes straight on the sides. There's you know, a little bit of curvature to make it feel better on your hands than a 90 degree turn, but there's not much to it. It's, uh, it's pretty much straight, uh, straight down. It actually kind of comes in a little bit more than over straight. So it's a little bit, uh, more of an acute angle for your geometry people. I think the hand feel turned me off initially. Um, I think the more that we threw it in the field, I began to enjoy throwing it and realized what you can do with it. Um, and so I began to appreciate it a lot. Um, but yeah, the hand feels a little different, especially when you're used to different 
if you're used to traditional disc golf putters, I mean, discs in general, it just doesn't feel right in comparison. Yeah, I mean, it's even more squared off than like a ultimate frisbee lid. It's yeah, it's very square. It's very comical, almost feeling blocky in your hand. Uh, the rim is narrow, but it's so blocky. It, it doesn't feel like a. I don't know. It's just. It's a strange disc. I feel like the Berg is weird in the way it looks. And then you put it in your hand, you're like, this feels this incredible. This feels amazing, yeah. Uh, both back <laughs> I and absolutely agree. Uh, the Polgat looks weird and it feels weird at first. But I do agree. Once you throw it for a bit, you kind of get used to it. I think the forehand grip, because of its depth, to me felt like a little weird. I, I, I wouldn't even try it on my forehand because it just felt too weird. Yeah, I think you would have a very hard time keeping it straight. I threw a few little hyzer flips with it that came up to flat. Um, that I could see being useful if you needed that like touch really dead straight um, hyzer flip. The problem is, is that we bag the berg, and so and you could just rip the berg straight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I do think this would kind of complement the berg in terms of like if you wanted something that would have a bit more glide, and then especially would like hold that right hand turn with the backhand or left hand turn with the forehand, and not just drop out. Um, I think this could do some things the bird can't for sure. Mm-hmm. I I think it can do some things that I don't think I can do with any disc in my bag, especially like if you wanted a disc to go like 100 feet straight and 120 feet to the right, like I think I can do it with a polecat. I don't know that I can do it with any other disc in my bag mm-hmm. on, on any angle really uh, besides maybe like some kind of weird spike hyzer. But I think the... The combination of the bit of glide and the fact that it doesn't break out of the turn at all, it's it's fun. And I think that I realize, I get why there's a cult following. And I think especially if I was a smoother thrower and I didn't have the burger in my bag, I would be more tempted than I am. But I'm getting too probably ahead of myself. For sure. I think if somebody was wanting, where would you slot this in your bag? I think this would be your non-windy day approach disc. And I think if we had a lot more woods, I think I could see myself putting it in for especially lean out upshots and things where I couldn't really involve my lower body but needed to get something to go. Uh, If it was a backhand especially, I think I could see myself bagging it in really tight woods. And But with the courses we play and the amount of wind we deal with, I just don't necessarily know that it's... I'm getting too far. Maybe we should just get into our rating. I like it. Our rating system is one, it's just not that great of a disc. Two is it's a good disc, but there's better options out there. Three is it's a great disc, but it doesn't stand out. Four is it's fantastic, but it's not going in my bag. And five is it's going in my bag. So David, what is your rating? I think I'm going 3.5. And the reason why, I think it's a good disc. I think it does stand out. I don't think it doesn't stand out. I think it does stand out because of its uniqueness. Um, it's hard for me because I really can't figure out a place for it in my bag. I agree with you in the sense of more of an approach disc um, and its use. Um, but yeah, I just really can't find a place for it in the bag for me personally as far as my style of game goes. But I definitely could see this fitting in a lot of people's bags. Um, I think it's worth giving it a try. Um, and I could see possibly in the future if my game changes and I become a lot better at backhand um, and having that control that I could see myself enjoying having something like it in my bag. Um, so it's a possibility, but I think I'm going to be at a 3.5 right now. Yeah, you stole my rating. 3.5 for me yes. as well. 
I can't say it doesn't stand out. I think that's why I like our rating system is it does force you to make a decision. You can't really put it in the three very often. Um, if it is unique, you either got to go two or four or somewhere sure. around there. Um, I could definitely see myself backing it if I didn't have the Berg and I was in a more of a wooded course. But I think you can only bag so many approach discs. Um, so it's not going to my bag, but I think especially as a form diagnosis tool and playing shorter courses i I really like it Mm -hmm. and while the hand fill is not incredible you get used to it and it's just a fun disc to throw it does some things that are just really interesting um so yeah and uh we will give away two pairs of polecats so you have a chance to win a halo polecat for you and a DX polecat for you and a Halo polecat and a DX polecat for a friend. So what we'll do is we'll have that giveaway on our Instagram page and you can check that out. If you want to order a polecat, I'm not sure if they have them right now, but keep an eye out at 1010 discs. We're big fans of them and we appreciate them supporting the podcast. You can get free shipping over 60 bucks. They have great selection, great pictures, great prices and you can use the code the grind 5 to get 5% off your order. And David our podcast is almost over, but I thought we could talk just briefly here. How do you keep disc golf fun? The polecat's fun. And I think you and I had around and I'll let you kind of explain it. That just reminded us in all this attempts to get better and all the commitment to full commitment to get better that disc golf is a game and it should be fun. Yeah, for sure. I think it was actually right around when I got my injury. We had a, a round with, was it eight of our friends? Something like that. It was mob golf. And I it, it kind of like the OG, like our OG group of getting into disc golf together. And it kind of reminded, I think, both Josiah and I of why we love disc golf, the community aspect of it. We had one of our buddies, Sean, just moved back to town. And um, we realized that everybody brings their unique uh, thing to a group. And he's one of those people that just, there's something about his personality that really brings a group together and just having fun and cherishing the moments and not getting caught up with having to be great at something, but just enjoying the moments together. So I think, I mean, there was one, I had one great shot with my Berg in the, in the round and everybody was so pumped together about that shot that I just, and I, it's just fun celebrating together. Just the ridiculousness that can happen. The like, those fun moments in disc golf. Yeah, he think- also dragged our friend uh, Ryan Shep out <laughs> yeah. from his fishing love. And so Ryan's similar in that he brings a lot of energy and fun to the yeah. course for sure. Yes, uh, there's something about having a group of buddies being able to go out and uh, share those memories together. And that's definitely, it's been huge. I feel like what's really brought Josiah and I um, into loving the game, loving the sport. So, yeah. I, just remember, you, you're probably getting better every day in some way at disc golf. But even if you're not, like, it's just fun. It's just an amazing thing. I'm watching discs fly, especially when, when your friend throws in a long berg shot or you park the hole first and then that celebration's ruined because another buddy parks the hole and then your friend throws in a long berg shot, whatever that is. <laughs> it's, it's fun. And it's, it's just a blessing to get to play. And so just remember to have fun out there. And... Remember, whether it's coffee or disc golf, don't forget to enjoy the grind.